0: Now, Lord, we turn our attention during this time to your scriptures, to your word. And we pray that you would speak to each one of us through your word. And that we would see and hear that which you have purposed for us this morning. I pray for myself that I would have the mind of Christ, the thoughts of God. And that the words that are uttered would be your words. And more than anything else, I pray, Holy Spirit. That you would say more than I say and say more accurately. We pray this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for that. We are continuing a, the second part of a four part series. I think it's going to be four parts and we're dealing with the premise or under the premise that of God moving in, in a revival way. Uh, we don't know exactly when we, Probably don't know exactly how. I will say this, that I expect the next move of God to be different than any of the others we've experienced. We can't, we can't package what's happened in the past and start watching for that. But we need to watch for God to move in people's hearts and the premise is that we, as a congregation, as a local congregation, and every congregation has the same responsibility, but we have a responsibility to be able to to receive the harvest and to, for lack of a better word, manage the harvest. Uh, for if the harvest comes and we don't know what we're doing and we don't know what to do with a harvest of souls, uh that might not be a very good thing, and I'll tell you one thing, God will find somebody. I don't want him to have to replace us. So we're looking at the DNA, basically, of Abundant Life Church and who we are uh, and who who what the structure, not structure as far as organizationally, but structure in the sense of DNA, uh who we are. Last week and Phil uh, between last week and this week, Phil was all over my messages, uh, but last week we talked about reaching out to the lost and the unchurched of our community, and of course we're looking at this acronym REAP, R-E-A-P, and I, I said that uh, it's on the front of your bulletin, and William, if you hit that button, I think we'll get it up there too, there it is, it's um, uh, Again, just going back to last week, the elders and I sat up here one time and and, uh, created this acronym. But reaching out to the lost and unchurched of our community was last week. Today, we're going to be dealing with the E, which is equipping and discipling God's people to do the work of the ministry. And if all, all things go according to plan, then the next two Sundays will be the A and the P. And you don't have to... You don't have to go very far to figure out what those are if you just look at the very front of your bullet. They're there every week. But today we're going to hone in on equipping and discipling God's people to do the work of the ministry. The last earthly commandment of Jesus was to make disciples not just converts. Obviously we need to make converts. But it doesn't end there. Jesus, and I'll quote it again later on, but Jesus said, go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. There's a process there that we have to undertake and determine. And this, this is not a six-week campaign. It's not an eight-week campaign. It's a lifelong mission regardless of where you are and who you're with and if god sees fit at some point to take you and move you to another local body and he, he does things like that so don't be surprised but if he does that wherever you go you'll still have a lifelong mission of reaching out to the lost and equipping the, the saints that's, that's something god's called you to do and so the the essence of what we're seeing in this in this e this part of the acronym is talking about the people of God, everybody say the people of God, doing his work. Now, I think we're beyond, I think in this day and age, and especially in this congregation, we're beyond the idea that you hire a preacher to do all that, and you hire clergy to take care of all the ministry. And I think we understand, and we're going to read a verse here in a moment, but I think we understand that while clergy are certainly involved in doing the ministry, they are involved in doing the ministry because they're part of the saints and that that is not left unto people who would con- be considered professionals and not left exclusively, let's say it that way. If you would turn to Ephesians 4, we're going to read a few verses there that just uh, get us started. Um, after a while, I'm going to ask you to turn to 2 Timothy, but that just to give you a heads up. Um, but Ephesians 4 Uh, I'm really just going to start with verse 1. I tried to think where to start reading this to get where I want to get. But um, if you would stand while I read this from the English Standard Version. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Psalm 68, by the way. In saying he ascended, Paul's pretty bright, you watch this. In saying that he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended? <laughs> He's quick into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might feel all things. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until everybody say until. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that, always like it when we see a so that in the Bible. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather... I must say at the outset that while the equipping of the saints is born out of the five leadership gifts that we just read in verse 11, that it is born out of that, not limited to that, those five gifts. In other words, the, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or shepherd, and teacher are primarily responsible for equipping the saints But saints are are, are responsible for equipping as well, born out of that ministry. If you're equipped, then you need to equip somebody else. And so uh, we want to talk about our role to equip God's people to do his work. God could have created a spiritual economy wherewith he just came to earth and did it all himself. Or he could have multiplied himself. In, in deity form to do the work, but he chose to, to multiply himself in non-deity form. That's you, by the way. You and I are non-deity. And he chose to, to duplicate his efforts and his work through his body, through the body of Christ and that we are members one of another individually. Uh, Again, Phil quoted this verse earlier, but you don't have, we're not going to turn, but Ephesians 2.10 tells us, that we were created for good works. We were created to do good works. We It says that we are the, the uh, work of art of God. We are his workmanship, and we were created to do good works. Before that, it tells us we were saved by grace, not of works. So we're not talking about doing works to be saved, you, you know what I've said so many times, that that uh, we are not saved, we're not Christians, because we do good works. But rather, we do good works because we are Christians. We've got to keep it in that perspective. And Paul does. He tells us very clearly that we're saved by grace, not of works. Yet, and too many times we've left off verse 10 when we read that passage, we are his workmanship, created. Created. Listen to that word. Created for good works. In other words, we are the hands and feet of Jesus in the earth. We are the, are those who are carrying on and carrying forth his mission that he began when he ascended into heaven, he left instructions with the disciples which by proxy carries over to us for every good work. Paul wrote to his spiritual son therefore if anyone cleanses himself From what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy. Here's a key phrase, useful to the master. I don't want you to raise your hand, but how many of you want to be useful to the master? Useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. It is important that the body of Christ be ready to do the work of God, to do the work of the ministry, to to be those who reach out to those around us. The work of the ministry in this passage is just really a phrase that is, is an energetic application of serving him. Working is the word we get our word energy from. And, and, of course, serving is like a, the same word as a deacon or a diaconos, which is just a serving. We, With God's energy, we serve him in whatever capacity, the work of the ministry. It's not limited to any one thing, any one place, any one topic, but the work of the ministry. As we are promoting forth the work of God, the energy of God, we are doing the work of the ministry. And we, and he tells us very clearly why that happens, why we're doing that. It's because of the building up of the body of Christ. For the building up of the body of Christ. Now, the ultimate goal that we have of being equipped, of being equipped by God, the ultimate goal, and I'm not going to read the passage, I just read it, but it's, it's that we would have unity of the faith. That we would have a knowledge or a relationship with the Son of God. That we would have an intimate knowing with him. I, I can't emphasize that enough because we get so wrapped up in religious dogma and religious exercises and, uh, and uh, things of God rather than the God of the things. That we must remember that the life is in the knowledge. The life is in the relationship with Jesus Christ. Not just a knowledge of him as far as informationally speaking, but a knowledge of an intimate relationship with Him, He said, that maturity or a completeness measuring up to the standard of Christ. You say, "Well, I, I can't, I can never, I can never attain to that measure." Well, I can promise you this: that if you aim at nothing, I guarantee you, you're going to hit it. <laughs> aim at something. What's the something? The measure, the bar that Jesus sets. That's what happens when we are equipped. He says we're no longer children, and children are tossed all about by every wind of doctrine. And we see people today, we have to be careful that we don't see people today chasing everything, chasing every wind, every whisper, every new fancy idea. And I keep thinking of the scripture said there's nothing new under the sun. It's new to us sometimes, but it's never been new. Deceitful schemes. If we're going to talk about equipping other people um, and even allowing ourselves to be equipped, we must understand this word. It's an interesting word. It it means to mend or to repair. It it gives the idea of the setting of bones or the mending of nets, this word equip, when he says that we are given the ministry of equipping the saints It means to make something or or someone completely adequate or sufficient to do a task, sufficient for a ministry or purpose. The basic idea of the word equip is that of putting a thing into the condition in which it ought to be. Now, when you reach out to the lost, and the unchurched of the community, and God gives you opportunity to continue to minister to those people, then you would you would want to equip them, and we'll get to discipling in a moment, but you would want to equip them in such a way that they would be in a condition where they ought to be, where they can serve God. Because if someone, especially those who are coming from a place of being lost, they were never in a position to serve God, but now they are. This word conveys the sense here of not of adding something, not adding something to someone's life that's lacking, but putting things in order. When you see someone in your life, a person that you are mentoring or discipling or whatever verbiage you'd like to use, see them as a person that God wants to reorder their life, wants to mend them. To set that broken bone, spiritually speaking. And that's what you're after when you're dealing with people from an equipping standpoint. And you and I, and I'll get to, well, I think, what we, how we would do that in a moment. But you and I have that responsibility to see people come to Christ... And even those who might be unchurched or have been away from God, come back to God and see them arrive at a place that we can help them and see God mend their life and put things as they ought to be. That's equipping. Now, Paul writes to his, again, to his spiritual son, Timothy, and he gives us just a little bit of a difference here. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, turn to Second Timothy 3. Um, this may be in your notes if you're using the the you version but he writes to Timothy remember Timothy is a young man that he found in his journeys we know that Timothy's father was not a believer in Jesus Christ he was a Gentile we know that his mother and his grandmother were believers, strong believers and they raised him as best they could but Paul uh, come, uh met Timothy and then took him in his company and became his spiritual father. And so he says to Timothy in verse 14 of chapter 3, he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, mostly from his mother and his grandmother, Uh, And how from childhood, verse 15, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Sacred writings. And then he goes on to say, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, and by the way, the word there, is one word and it it is anthropos which is just human beings but that the human beings may be complete equipped for every good work so we have equipped in Ephesians and here we have the word equipped it comes from the same root word but this is just a little bit different this word is used of a wagon or a rescue boat which is completely outfitted think of it this way that you are about to go, you know someone is out in the middle of Priest Lake or O'Hickory Lake or the Gulf of Mexico, and you get a rescue boat and you outfit that boat with everything you need, whatever it might be, and you go rescue those people from wherever they are. That's what Paul's talking about here. We, the Scriptures, learning the Scriptures and letting the Scriptures minister to us by the work of the Holy Spirit... Gives us the equipment to go be a rescue boat, so to speak. And as you encounter people in life, you will, you do, you have, and you will again encounter people whose life is on the, on the high seas. It's on the rough seas. And they need you to come with a rescue boat having been outfitted for that purpose. He said from childhood, you've known the sacred writings from childhood. Your mother and your grandmother have taught you the sacred writers. In other words, you could say this, that he was outfitted by the sacred writings through the work of his mother and his grandmother, not to mention what the apostle Paul worked in him through the years they were together. We have no other resource for equipping saints. We have no other resource for, Other than what God has given us already. And that's why he said all scripture. Everybody say all. By the way, remember at that time there really wasn't a New Testament. You mean Paul said the Old Testament was good? Uh, Yes. The Old Testament is not just good. It's the inspired, infallible word of God. And the Old Testament, and I wish I'd come up with this, but I didn't. But the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. They work together. It's, it's all, all 66 books are the Word of God. All of them. I know there's one or two in there we wonder about sometimes, but they all are. They're all the sacred writings. One of the reasons we stand and we don't make it a rule we we never made it a rule around here. We never look to see who's sitting down and who's not, but one of the reasons we stand when we read the scriptures, or one of the main reasons, is we see that, that uh, uh, Ezra when Ezra read the scripture, the whole congregation stood up. But the other reason is is we see the writings of God as sacred, as sacred. Why are they sacred? Because is that, is that special ink? Is that a special kind of paper? No words, not not the stuff written down. It's the words of God. How how much more sacred can it, can it be? He said, "Remember the sacred writings. They're able to make you wise, to receive God's rescue and deliverance. They're able to rescue you back to our rescue boat. They're able to bring you forth." He says, all scripture is beneficial. Of course, he says profitable. There's other words in different versions. All scripture, all scripture is God breathed. In other words, how did we get the scriptures is that God exhaled. And men, the Bible tells us, you know, I've always said that the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Scripture tells us in Peter that he, in his words, holy men of old wrote this stuff down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's what makes it sacred. Not that they were perfect. They were far from perfect, but God worked through their imperfection, through their humanity and gives us the written version of his spoken word. And they're beneficial for teaching. For reproof, which is bringing to light that which needs to be corrected. And then correction. Making it straight again. And then training in righteousness. So what are the scriptures beneficial for? Teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Again, not a set of rules. Not a law. But... Connecting with the God of the Scriptures through His Scriptures. Connecting with the Holy Spirit through the words the Holy Spirit inspired. Do we see that it's more than just uh, another book? It's more than just another uh, collection of writings. But there's, there's a, there's profitability according to the Scripture. There's profitability and benefit in the scripture. So when you are equipping someone for the work of the ministry, you equip that person. How did Timothy become equipped? That his mother and his grandmother taught him the sacred writings. That's how he became equipped. He said, those are the things that make you wise. So when you're equipping someone, don't try to give them cute little stuff, don't cute little sayings. Hey, you got it right there in that book. All you need. Now, what do you need besides this book? If you have this book and you don't have the Holy Spirit, now you got a problem. Because for one thing, you'll be like the the eunuch on the chariot. Uh, Philip said, do you understand what you read? He said, how can I? Except somebody help me. This book without the Holy Spirit just make us crazy, makes us religious, makes us legalistic. But this book with the work of the Holy Spirit, we walk in revelation. We see, we see and we connect with the Lord Jesus through His Word. So we, we're talking about equipping and discipling people of God. Now, last June, I did a message called Go and Make Disciples. So in the next 15 minutes, I'm going to re-preach that message. No, <laughs> I couldn't do it. Anyway, he said, you can't do it in 50 minutes. But uh, you, you, you go back and, and listen to that message. From June of last year, it's available on everything, audio, video. Uh, but I do want to just remind us, and I quoted it earlier, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Jesus said, "Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples." And as you, all of you, have watched the midweek video, I know, so I'm not even going to ask. So this is going to be redundant for you. But I dealt with that during this week's uh, video. In the in that. As a matter of fact, the title of it is, As You Are Going. Uh, the, the International Standard Version, which is a little bit obscure, but a guy here in Nashville wrote it, he, he interprets it. Therefore, as you go, disciple all the nations. And then God's Word translation says, So wherever you go, make disciples of all nations. And so it's not necessarily, it can be, but it's not necessarily a purposeful going. You're not just standing here and waiting for where to go. There's people who tell you where to go. You can, I can promise you that. But you live your life. If your steps are ordered by God, follow those steps. And as you are following those steps, make disciples. Now there are times of God in them, in your in your walking, in your life, God will say to you, I want you over there. Of course, we're all afraid God's going to call us and send us to Africa. I don't know why people in Africa probably get mad at us about that because we, everybody's afraid God's going to call them and be a missionary and send them to Africa. Well, I can tell you some worse places he could send you, but this. but sometimes God will say, I want you over there. Well, then what's happened? God has reordered your steps. In your mind, but God's ordered your steps to go over here. Now, while you're on your way, make disciples. But our saints, our role, uh, I, and you've heard me say this, I heard Derek Prince say one time that in the military he learned that the last commandment that he got from his his commanding officer was what he was to do until he got another one. And if his commanding officer never gave him a new, a, a new commandment or a new order, just keep doing the last one. Until you get a new one. Well, I want to tell you, as we say, we started out this morning, that the last earthly commandment we got from Jesus was to go and make disciples. He hasn't given us another one. He's not going to give us another one. Our role, our job in the, in the army of God as soldiers in the work of God, our, our role is to go and not just make converts, but make disciples. The word in in that, it says make disciples in Matthew 28, 19, is really one word, matateos. I don't usually like to do this, but it's one of them that I can actually pronounce. (laughs) it's it's, uh, It's just one word, matateo. But I want to tell you this, that in the structure of that sentence, in the structure of that sentence, that is the main verb in that sentence. See, we think go is the main verb. No, that's not the main verb. The main verb is make disciples, Mattails. And we can't, we cannot escape that. Your job and my job is to equip and disciple people. We can't escape that. And we can't put it off on the clergy because I can tell you, I can't do it. The elders can't do it. The deacons can't do it. As far as for we can't do it all, let's say it that way. Do Does the pastor have a responsibility to equip and disciple? Absolutely. Is he the only one? No. Thank you. This word means not only to learn, and that's sometimes people want to talk about being a disciple is to be a learner, and that's not necessarily off-key. But to become attached to one's teacher and to become his follower in doctrine and conduct of life. Uh, I'm not opposed to studies. I'm not opposed to buying booklets and going through little courses. Uh, Someone that I really respect, I'm not going to talk about it, but someone I really respect has something they call a discipleship curriculum. And as far as I'm concerned, that's a contradiction in terms. Because discipling is not a curriculum. You can use a curriculum and you can do a study, and I think that's great. I mean, we do a study every Wednesday night in our home group. Of course, we study this right here. But but my point is discipling is not going through a study book. You can use a study book, but that's not discipling. Discipling, if you're going to disciple someone... You, that you go come along uh, beside them. If you're being discipled, and again, I'll go back to this, is to become attached to one's teacher and to become his follower or his or her follower in doctrine and conduct of life. Paul said, be imitators of me. That's what makes a disciple, not just following a script. Now, you can use all that other stuff in the process, but that in and of itself is not discipleship. W.E. Vines, uh, said it this way, a disciple was not only a pupil, but an adherent. Hence, they are spoken of as imitators of their teacher. You say, well, I, I, I don't know that I can say to somebody to be an imitator of me. Well, then you better straighten up and fly right. <laughs> because you gotta be able to. You gotta be able to say to somebody, you imitate me. Remember that thing I read a while ago about be, uh, cleansing ourselves so we'd be useful to the master? Imitators. Paul said he'd be imitators of me. By the way, I've said this before, but if you want to understand discipling, I don't know where you get it, but go find the old A very the original karate kid movie. We went and watched that of course there's a story to go along with that, but we went and watched that probably forty years ago plus forty plus years ago. And I didn't expect this, but when I walked out of there I said, that's the best visual of discipleship I've ever seen. Mr. Miyagi teaching What's the young guy's name? Daniel. Young Danielson. Yeah, I got a grandson named Daniel. I should remember that. Young Daniel. I mean, wax on, wax off. Well, you know, what does that mean? That's discipling. What does that have to do with karate? Just do what I say. Wax on, wax off. It's like when I hear people go to the pastor of the church and say, man, I want, God's called me to the ministry and I want to be a pastor. What can I do? To get ready to be a pastor. And he said, <clears throat> we have three toilets. We have one, six toilets. Go start cleaning those toilets. Well, what's that got to do with being a pastor? Well, you'll figure it out. Go see the karate kid. I mean, I can't even, I can't even tell you the lessons in that movie. They're so right on. They're so dead on. How Mr. Miyagi disciples and equips young Daniel San. Jesus is often uh, illustrated to us in the scripture as a disciple maker. He's doing it the whole time he's here. He's he's bringing, in his case, men and, and a whole company of women with him, and he's discipling them because of his association with them. You know, I don't know where I got this. I might have wrote this down myself, but... His concern was not with programs to reach the multitudes, but with people whom the multitudes would follow. And we need to be people that other people want to follow. Have you got something that somebody else wants? See, you might not think that, but you do. You do. If you have hope, especially if you have hope in the midst of dire circumstances. There's people out there looking at you and thinking, oh, well, I don't know how you're doing that, but I sure wish I could do it. Discipleship. <clears throat> I'm not going to have you turn, but there's some great examples. Acts 18. Um, a Jew named Apollos came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man. It says he was competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, fervent in spirit. He taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more Accurately, he was speaking accurately, and they helped him be more accurate. That's discipline. They didn't just stand up in the meeting and say, "You're wrong." You need, you know, you don't, you know, it doesn't happen a lot, but occasionally I have you know people going out the door, and, and it's almost always someone who's that's the first time they're they're here, and most of the time the last time they're here. And they want to correct me, straighten me out as they're going out the door. I usually just thank them, um, you know, because who knows what God's saying. But um, they, they heard him, and they said, let's go over here and have a cup of coffee, and let's talk. We don't know what they instructed him about. We know that he knew about Jesus. He was preaching Jesus. We do know that it says he only knew the baptism of John. We don't know exactly, but they saw something. And it's. I love how Luke writes that he was preaching accurately, but they helped him to be more accurate. They didn't say he was wrong, and they made him right. Accurate, more accurate. Apollos is a great example of coming along beside someone. In the very next chapter, Paul encounters these disciples from in Ephesus again. They'd only known the baptism of John. And he said, well, have you have you not received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And I know there's some today that believe that. Can't, how can you have two experiences? Well, you can have two experiences with the Holy Spirit. And three. And ten. And a hundred. And a thousand. You can get to a drift. We leak. Have you not? No, we've never heard of the Holy Spirit. So he prayed for them. And they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And oh my God, they began to speak in tongues. Yeah, hallelujah. As Paul says, I would that you all spoke in tongues. No topic for another day, but he's t- he ministers to these people. And of course, then naturally... People got riled up about it. They didn't like what was going on. In verse 8, it says, we're told there were 12 men, something about that number 12. Someone asked Billy Graham one time, what would he do if he could start over? What would you do if you, if God said, okay, you can go back to the beginning and start over completely? And he said, among other things, I would find me 12 men that I could disciple. And I'd, I'd gather with those men on a regular basis and we would become brothers and friends. And obviously he was speaking of replicating what Jesus did, but anyway, he said there was 12 men and he entered the synagogue and for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Three months. You think I'm long-winded. Three months. Reasoning and persuading them about, look at this topic. That wasn't my phone this time. I'm I'm sure I was on something. Anyway, the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, capital W, he withdrew from them. Now we want to, we want to confront them. Oh me. We want to confront the people who get stubborn and speak evil of the way. We want to make ugly posts on the Internet. He withdrew from them and took, watch what it says, the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. So that's not Tyrannosaurus Rex's cousin, I don't think. Now I want you to, I want you to pay attention to what happens next. It says, this continued for two years. Hey, he went from three months to two years. Paul must not have had anywhere he needed to be. I don't know. He wasn't as busy as we are today. We can't even, we, I watch the Andy Griffith show. Y'all you all know I watch the Andy Griffith show. <laughs> and they'll say something's going on and Andy will say, well, we need to have a, a meeting of the committee. Let's meet tonight. And I tell my wife, I said, we could never do that today. You could never say, hey, let's have a meeting tonight. Well, I mean, you know, everybody's going 15 different ways. Of course, on the Andy Griffith show, they had nothing to do. That's why the preacher came along and preached to him, what's your hurry? Slow down now. This continued for two years. And so he's discipling these 12 men for two years. So that everybody say, so that in other words, as a result, a result of that, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. You remember what our definition of all is? We looked it up in the Greek, remember all, all Asia heard the word of the Lord because of two years of discipling and equipping with 12 disciples. I don't know about you, but that's good stuff. So I'll finish up this way. This equipping and discipling is in the context of community. It's in the context of the body of Christ. It's really in the context of the local church, whatever that local church looks like. I said last week that you may be part of a local church that meets on Friday nights at someone's home on a regular basis. Hallelujah. That's a local church as far as I'm concerned. You don't have to have a building, or you don't have to have a steeple, and you don't have to have both. You, any, but whatever configuration it looks like, it's done in community. Uh, I'm not going again. I'm not going to turn, but I'm just going to spot check 1 Corinthians 16 uh, as he closes out his first letter to the Church of Corinth. He, he talks about the household of Stephanus or the house of Stephanus, which was a house church house church uh, house church. He said, be subject to such as these. These are your fellow workers and laborers. And he talks about Aquila and Priscilla again. He said, uh, they have a church in their house and they send greetings. The church in their house sends greetings to you. He talks about Apollos. He will come when he has opportunity to visit you. And then he says, all that you do be done in love. That requires community. You, you can't. You got to have people around if you're going to love somebody. I know. I know that's deep, and that's profound. But I just had to say it. He said, "Brothers, you have refreshed my spirit as well as uh, as you. Or they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours." He refers to the churches of Asia, and then he says, "All the brothers send you greetings." All of that. That's the last part of chapter sixteen, by the way. All of that. In its entirety is community. Everything you see, all the sentences, all the, all the greetings, it, it has to do with, uh, 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 churches in the homes of people. It has to do with people gathering together, brothers, refreshing, just the whole thing is community. This equipping and discipling is not done in a vacuum. It's not done in isolation. It's done in community. And you and I, After we have reached out, or while we're reaching out to the lost and unchurched, we must be ready to equip. What happens if we see a harvest next month or next year? What happens if God begins to, to each one of you, as Phil said, if half the people in this room, if God allowed you to see someone come to Christ, and half of those people decided to come to Abundant Life Church, what would we do with that harvest unless you and I are ready to equip and disciple? people as I said last week we got to do more than just buy more chairs and big builder build bigger buildings we've got to be able to invest in the lives of people one person at a time is good enough and so a conclusionary statement would go like this and this goes back to last week I mentioned the message on the corner of circle and vine as you go you are branches of the vine growing out from the flower pot. I'll pause right there. Uh, you know, we don't we don't tell people, come look at our flower pot. We got a really nice flower pot. Boy, you've never seen a flower pot like ours. Come look at it. Or uh, we don't huddle perpetually. We, we eventually, we break huddle and go to the line of scrimmage and run a play. As you go, you are branches of the vine growing out from the flower pot with divine connections to cause them to become learners and followers. Discipling and equipping. And I, whether you like it or not, and those of you watching online as well, I have just put something on you. It was already on you. I pray that the Holy Spirit made you aware Of what's on you. The mission. The responsibility. Do I have to be perfect? No. If you had to be perfect, I'd be sitting down. Somebody else be up here. Do you have to know all the Bible? If I had to know all the Bible, somebody else would be preaching. I'd be sitting down. Do you have to? You know where I'm headed with that. No, you don't have to be any of those questions that come to your mind. What you have to be is available and willing. And then you can do it. Stand with me.